more than one reason to be excited for this Friday. It is the eve of Penn State season opener. Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz returning back here to end your week on a high note with the Lions 24-7 podcast. We mentioned it back on Monday. Akron, Akron, Akron. Well, the Zips are in town, and we'll have football at noon tomorrow. Cannot wait. It's it's about time we're going to get into some cliches, but we are... Uh, I guess uh, padded up and ready to go or something like that. But no, we're, we're excited. It, it's great to see live football. It's great to talk about something other than, you know, practice or speculation on things. It's great to see them in pads and, and we're ready to go. It is. And one of the things I like to do here on the podcast, you know, personally is to kind of allow people who take the time to listen a little peek behind the curtain, whether that's our process with the team. And I just have to say, since January, for those who have visited the site regularly, you've known that almost every article we've written ends with some form of, quote, Penn State opens its 2017 campaign against Akron on September 2nd, kickoff from Beaver Stadium set for noon. Okay. Because I've been doing this since January, that has found its way into the end of get well cards, emails I will send my parents, pretty much anything that I want to write, and now no longer do I have to write Penn State Opens its 2017 campaign, dot, 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 dot. The funny thing is that we put it in there because uh, our system automatically puts a gallery before the last line, so we just need a throwaway line in there. But yeah, you have taken notice of it on Twitter and, of course, on the message boards at Lions 24-7. So yeah, we're going to probably move on to something else next week, probably related to Pitt, but yeah, it's just good to get that out of the way. Yeah, and that's that's a good mention too, because that's kind of just a you know a break from journalism school law is that you don't want any throwaway content at the end of the beginning, and that's only in there to serve as a buffer for the galleries, which uh, you know are money makers if you didn't know. Uh, but moving on to more important pertinent things, we're going to start with quick hits. Lots happened this week outside of just getting ready for Akron and the season being here. We'll run down about four or five different items. As Sean mentioned, we've got our favorite season opener cliches. They're unique to this time of year. They're a lot of fun. So we're going to go back and forth with those. Uh, a segment I promised a couple weeks back, Tweet of the Week. We've got our debut. Sean was going to take this, but we felt like it wouldn't look too good on us to uh, allow one of us to have the my Tweet of the Week Tyler in the Davis debut. kicker tweet was so great. <laughs> Blew uh, up instantly. I looked at my phone, half hour at the gym, going, oh, good, some of my stories have been passed around. People are reading them. They're retweeting. No, it's Sean Fitz at you, and everyone liked that a million times over. But I don't it was, have that problem because I don't go to the gym. So. Yeah, it was a solid, solid tweet. And then most importantly, uh, last Monday we did... Season preview for the offense today, it's going to be the defense, when the Lions are defending the pass, when they're defending the run, how they're going to be successful against each, and then a bold prediction apiece. And finally, season predictions. Penn State's record at the end of the year, and do they make the college football playoff? Uh, It feels like a minute ago since I described the quick hits, but we have them listed here. First, the initial depth chart of the season came out. Your takeaway. Get your overreactions ready. Uh, let's talk quarterback. Sean Clifford listed as the number three quarterback. He was actually on the scout team on Wednesday night at practice. I, I think Clifford, you know, we mentioned him last, uh, actually earlier this week on the podcast, I believe, uh, had a great great camp um you know showed these guys that that he was a little bit meant uh, a little bit further ahead mentally than a lot of people thought he would be so uh having him slotted in front of jake zembeck um you know will he play would he be the third guy off the bench i don't know about that he's a yellow yeah right he's a yellow um i i don't think they want to burn his red shirt um but you've got a great opportunity excuse me a great situation with uh trace and tommy in front of him so i don't think unless he would happen to have to see uh prolonged duty which you hope is that is not the case i see a red shirt coming for him but Still very interested that he's uh, you know listed number third, one of nine true freshmen on the depth chart, and uh, the tenth uh, was not even listed. James Franklin said that Yitor Gross Matos would play along with Tariq Castro, Fields, and Lamont Wade. 
I find that interesting. I mean, it, these guys have been talked up since the start of camp and Wade going back to January as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a surprise that they're on there, but yeah, anytime that you see a freshman you know, that can make an impact, uh, Tariq Castro-Fields listed as the backup corner, Lamont Wade going to be uh, right in the mix for the nickel corner, and then Gross Matos, who I think is the most interesting of all. He was a third string when we went to practice yeah, Wednesday. Third string guy could be, a, a, you know, probably listed third or fourth on the depth chart. He's a guy that James Franklin mentioned is a situational guy that could come in, rush the passer if they need to but I just think if you look at Penn State's defensive end depth chart you've got six guys that are you know probably going to play some sort of rotational snaps and and to to add a guy that's a true freshman uh, I think says something a lot about what they think about Itor Grossmatos. And before we move on from the freshman one quick note because we got to speak with Trace McSorley this week and of course asked about Sean Clifford his impressions and basically he said that Clifford entering camp was was attempting to process the entire field he had a very good understanding of the offense that showed itself early but he would slow himself down you know looking from sideline to sideline when he turned the corner so to speak and really seized this job was when he focused strictly on what the play called for him to break down and process so it's one or two reads and then moving on and executing so once Clifford was able to do that which of course we hear so much about quarterbacks needing to quote read the entire field that's really not the case until you get you know the highest levels in the NFL you know within this offense in particular they do have multiple reads but they're all packaged together and perhaps even made sometimes uh, pre-snap so Clifford wins that job we will see uh, Lamont Wade starting as a nickelback Tree Castro Fields will see a rotation at the corners as will Gross Matos a defensive end uh, offensively the offensive line is as stable as it's been during the Franklin era right tackle was the only spot really of question that's because of Andrew Nelson's recovery it looks like he's almost there but not yet because Chaz Wright will start at right tackle yeah and I think that's the right call I mean right end of the season last year is the start it's really tough to 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 take guys that started last year you know especially when they were on that streak won the Big Ten and everything to take those guys and, and pull them from the starting rotation uh, I think Wright and Nelson will both see staffs um, you're right I don't think Nelson is 100% yet and, no. and and that's not you know uh, an indictment on him I mean just he's he's not that far removed move from that that knee injury so right it's just the life of an ACL there yeah and and he's been hurt before so you know I think you bring him along you get him some snaps uh, you get him fresh I, I know he cannot wait to play beside beside Brendan Mann and and vice versa yes. those guys are, are excited to go through their senior year so but yeah it's a stable I mean every time we've listed I think the depth chart this preseason camp it's been Bates Gonzalez McGovern um, man, and then right, and you know, even though they took it easy on these tackles during camp, I mean, that's that's as solid as you can get, and as consistent as you can get, which you mentioned is a far cry from just two years ago. Right now, the starting safety job that had been, you know, Troy Apke's in name only. Always heard about this competition between he, Nick Scott, and Aaron Monroe. Some of us wrote columns on it. Some of us did. You know, June calls for time to really think some things up, and, and I'm not saying that was uh, any falsehood on my part by any means. I, I still believe Nick Scott will see significant time at the safety spot. But for Week One, this is Troy Apke's job. He's won that. He's experienced. You know, he, he's a lot more athletic than, than people would give it credit for on the surface. You can throw out the white guy cliches. This guy runs a four four. He's got range and he's physical enough in the run game. The question, of course, is at times been angles and decision-making, but you know, if he was ever going to shore up those areas of his game, it's going to be this season when he's a senior. Yeah, he's a now-or-never guy, no doubt about it. I mean, he's, he's he probably should have another year. They took the red shirt off him as a true freshman, but yeah, he's got every opportunity, much like Malik Golden did last year, to to, to take the next step to be a guy that they rely on. And you know, if he can't get it done, there's two pretty athletic guys right behind him uh, ready to take those reps. So um, be, be really interesting to see. They're talking 
him up, which uh, you know I wasn't sure if they would do or not, but uh, they're talking Apke up, and he's one of the guys I'm most interested to see on Saturday, just because you know he he has, he has had those hiccups. He will have to overcome some of that stuff, and and if he can, that can really go a long way in the back four. Right. Um, moving on to our quick hits, we've got two more. James Franklin posted a piece on the Players Tribune Thursday morning. Lengthy piece starts out about his memories of the Ohio State upset. Then he gets into his personal journey, you know, even before he was a coach, then moves on to when he accepted the Penn State job and where he believes the Nittany Lions are headed. You know, big picture, I think, for people who listen to the podcast, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot in there that you wouldn't already know. A couple of tidbits, um, you know, for example, Marcus Allen's dad giving him a gift following the Ohio State upset, which included a glove from Marcus. You know, what he did prior to the season to bond with, a, you know, 40 players he had outlined is, you know, these guys could really take a, a step for us this year. Um, but overall, you know, the most interesting thing to me about this wasn't so much the content of the piece, but the clear motivation that Franklin had, of course, to write it, meaning that he wanted something in his own voice, which is exactly what the Players' Tribune is for, and wanted to get across a particular message that, you know, not only do I believe we're headed, as the last line is, back to the top, but we've gone through so much and that was something he wanted to share in detail exactly through his own voice. Yeah, and he does take some time to reflect on the past couple of years, but you never see it maybe as a sentimental reflect. It's more pointing out the challenges he had coming into to the, to the, uh, the job. And he did that in this piece, no doubt. But uh, at the same time, I mean, when you can sit back and watch yourself go from seven and six, seven and six to a Big Ten title, Rose Bowl berth, uh, I think you can sit back and do that. So uh, it's just a different side of him. You know, he's got the the rah rah reputation or whatnot. He's not always that coach, uh, definitely behind the scenes. But no, it, it, it's just a different side of Franklin. Um, you know, he's he's a very family-oriented guy, very, you know, maybe not religious, but spiritual guy. And I think that kind of reflected on this piece. So it, it was fun to read, especially right before the season, um, because you know his focus, you know, is directly on that and and not on writing for the Players' Tribune. Right, which again goes back to, I think, the thing that drew me most was this is someone whose time is obviously quite limited. He's got to maximize that. The stakes are high this season and the focus is, you know, continually forward and specific to Akron tomorrow. But here we have this piece, which, you know, who knows exactly when it was written. Obviously, the drop on Thursday morning to days before the season was very purposeful but you know these are things that were important enough to him that he wanted to take time because again this is a lengthy piece i mean this is challenging <laughs> scout team right. piece i dropped last weekend well it's not that no, no. Not <laughs> true that true uh but you know it, it was it was important enough to him on a personal level to want to get all of this across even though it, it it's not that it's inconsistent with his message but you know these are things that we you know have largely kind of put in the books and, and laid to rest. But here we are talking about them again and reinforcing the ideas, which are all true. Uh, just the timing of it seemed interesting to me. And obviously because, you know, the content there is his own voice. But I think, you know, understanding his thought process beforehand, obviously it is quite raw uh, and original from him, which, you know, I think is the greatest insight of all to see what is important to him. Well, it's, you know, what he purposely outlined and wanted to put into this piece because there was so much any coach could go into. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't see all, you don't see every coach doing. It. I think Jim Harbaugh did it. So uh, for him to get there to get the added exposure for the program, I think is is another thing. Uh, the players Tribune, yes, obviously. Aeneas Hawkins announced his decision on there a few weeks ago. Um, it's something that's that's working its way out, and you know, it's sort of a, a coach to player type thing. I mean, he could be writing that for a recruit. You know, it's it's just one of those things that helps uh, promote the program, promote his what he's trying to say, and and sort of reinforce what they're doing. Some of the best promotions for a program are videos of 
athletes who are not on scholarship but then are awarded scholarship. People have gotten quite creative with this over the years. Desi Davis was the most recent in the line uh, to undergo this process. Yeah, Franklin was one of the first ones back at Vanderbilt, uh, at least that I saw that you know did, did the video thing. And, and if you if you watch, they've got cameras everywhere on this program. I mean, they're, they're always doing something uh, for the unrivaled piece or or whatever. But yeah, there's always cameras around it. And when he did it at Vanderbilt, it was it was really cool. A lot of schools have figured out different ways to do it. I think it's cool every time. I mean, yes. if, if you think about the player, you think about the parents, and yeah, you, it might be overhaul or, or overkill or whatnot. But yeah, if you think about how much money that really means for that player, I mean, there's a reason those tears are coming out. There's a reason that, that Von Walker you and know, from teammates too. Yeah, yeah. And Just these the reaction is so great. Some of these guys, believe it or not, came from the scout team, and and you talk to a, a few people about this, and yeah, I mean, for those guys to work their way up, um, and, and we saw on Wednesday night, James Franklin was talking about guys that you know didn't really get the scout team. Well, these guys, uh, these walk-ons, know, uh, come in knowing that they're going to be there from the start, and and they may, may never get off. Off of it, so it's cool to see Desi Davis, who a lot of people don't know. I was running with the twos and threes in the spring, but you know he's a, he's a vocal, uh, energetic guy. If you're out there at practice, you, you look around, you say who's number twelve. Of course, uh, switch numbers from last year, but yeah, uh, tremendously happy for any kid that that gets the scholarship because it, it means the world for for somebody. Definitely. Desi Davis, you know, on a more official terms, you're outside of the emotional part of this. It's great for him, a cornerback, undoubtedly tied to T.J. Johnson's exit. You know, transferred to Cincinnati, opened up a spot, and also to position of need so that seems like his promotion was uh of course tied to that yeah puts him right at 85 of course tyler davis is on scholarship as well so um you know regardless of what they do uh for the 2018 class in terms of scholarships they're rated 85 right now and that's you know it's a pretty good place to be considering where they have been in the past okay Moving on, quick hits are over on to Tweet of the Week. And as I mentioned, Sean, you would have taken this. Uh, but, of course, we didn't want to lead out with one of our tweets taking this segment. I, I don't think we'll even do that for the rest of the year. But to really set the tone, uh, we, we still nonetheless stayed within the 24-7 family. Uh, and, and you picked this up this morning. Yeah, this was something that was tweeted earlier this week by the 24-7 national account that I actually I had no idea about. But, uh, you know, it said last year commenters marked, uh, excuse me, mocked Christian Corona for his headline, uh, but Penn State finished one spot out of the playoffs. Last July, Christian Corona, who's a data analyst, he's not even a writer, like a full-time writer, um, he mentioned that Penn State could sneak into the college football playoff. And as you would guess... Well, he didn't just mention it. It was a whole post. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a story that I thought he was smoking something but now you saw what happened last year and you go through the comments are great and you know you got other fans chiming in thanks for the laugh a winning record should be the goal Penn State's gone for good they would have to beat two of Ohio State Michigan or Michigan State at least two of them Uh, I think the most interesting part of that is Michigan State uh, Christian Corona wrote last year that they would fall back to earth after the college football playoff experience and I mean, he freaking nailed it. <laughs> I mean, it. beyond I think probably what he could have, um, uh, what he could have expected. So yeah, I think there's a lot that goes. You love advanced stats, this this data analysis and everything like that. Um, he did his power poll this year. Uh, Penn State surprisingly checking in at number eleven. Um, which, you know, felt kind of low, uh, especially for how high he was on Penn State last year. But you got Bama number one, USC number two, Florida State number three, Ohio State number four, uh, Oklahoma, Washington, Clemson, Louisville, LSU, Wisconsin, all in front of Penn State. 
Um, I, I think that's interesting. Just, uh, you know, he was pretty, pretty dead on last year. So, um, you know, so be forewarned, if you are going to clap, our national account will clap back at you via Twitter. Yeah. Of course, not everyone gets everything right, but I think, you know, you mentioned the advanced stats, part of what would drag Penn State down in my mind, of course, the record in close games, things that do are not consistent or really correlate from year to year. Um, it, you know, and of course, you know, the, the certain spots of the team where there might not be a, as much depth or production or areas where they lose, particularly like a, an area like the pass rush. Yeah. And I think that there's a, perception that this team got lucky a lot last year and they had some luck no doubt but I don't think this team was nearly as lucky as uh, as you would see some of these these other teams that have rolled into the the playoff or or had great seasons so um the Ohio State game there was a little bit of luck there but they also dominated up front in the second half uh, on, on defense so yeah I think some of it uh, is expecting this luck to wear off Joe Moorhead season two is that going to take a drop off so I see where the the skepticism comes from I'm yeah I'm speaking sure. strictly to the numbers oh, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. definitely like you said a little bit of luck I'm not one of those people who think Penn State lucked its way you look at that team at the end of the year without a doubt a top five team in the country um, but you know, there's a reason they're at 11 in these rankings that a year ago proved pretty true. Yeah. And I think that's still, that talent is still coming through there. James Franklin mentioned it on Wednesday night that they're just about at, you know, at the end of one cycle since they got here. So you'll continue to see that flush. And I think the, you know, when you're looking at talent, whether you want to judge it on stars or not, Penn state will come around and go up the, uh, 24 seven sports team talent composite, which is, uh, you know, something that should come out since Jim Harbaugh finally put out a roster this week. But hey. going back to Corona's top 25, a couple of note, Virginia Tech at 16, Michigan at 19, Mitch Vingles, Notre Dame Fighting Irish at 25. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. But yeah, it should be, um, it'll be interesting to see if, if he comes to Drew again, because Christian Corona was right on the money last year. Right. Okay. Right on the money. My favorite segment from this podcast, we're only half done. You should continue to listen. But our favorite season opener cliches now this uh goes across sports i think but this you know i I hate hearing podcasts that open with some sort of variation of this or quote it's so close you can smell it or taste it or taste it yeah the grass or the football listen no one is smelling anything but yet we continue on with this phrase and trumpet it like some point of pride that like football is so close like no one is doing any smelling on game day we are we're drinking we're tailgating we're writing we're playing we're tackling we're doing everything but smelling yet here we go it's so close you could smell it. I like how writing became came before tackling and running. And yeah, passing. well, you know, I'm just trying to cover all our uh, bases. I, I can't wait to hit somebody else. And mm. this is something that, you know, it, it's true. I mean, you know, going, going through camp, uh, you know, back in the day, it, you just wanted to go against somebody else. And scrimmages are great and everything. But, yeah, I, it, it's a cliche, but it's true. Um, you know, you can't. You have to hold back on your own teammates. You don't have to hold back on Akron. So there's there's some credence to this one, but yeah, it's it's become a, a go to for a lot of guys. Another default. I heard this this week. I, I'm not going to name the defensive back, but I asked him point blank. Hey, you know what was you know a play you made in camp? You were most proud of an interception, a pass deflection, and then he served up this cliche. Uh, my focus is entirely on an, an insert week one opponent here. Like, okay, we understand we're not asking about opponents down the road, but, you know, we can put our view elsewhere, you know, open up the peripherals a little bit to things that have been done well in the past or going off onto the side. But no, it's always our focus is entirely on Akron or perhaps, it, you know, Alabama, Florida State, whoever you talk to, it's always trickling that opponent. And I get that. But 
you know, there are other things you can say at this time of year that just are beyond the scope of this list that we're going to continue on with now. Well, I think I know why their focus is completely on week one opponents, because I feel like we had a really good offseason. And this is something that (laughs) I think every coach has said, um, you know, since I've been covering the team, everyone, nobody loses in the offseason. So uh, Pitt may have actually this year with the suspensions, the injuries, and everything. But uh, nobody loses in the offseason. So, you know, this one's really not... uh, yeah, I could rather I'd, I'd rather see that one go by the wayside. Yeah. Also, variations of that. I think you see in other sports. You know, I've never I'm in the best shape of my life, or you know, we've never been in a better position. It's like okay, that that's great. You know, that tells me tangibly nothing. Uh, similarly, any phrase that uses the word excited to me, this is I think you could call the Tim Tebow special. You know, God bless him, great man. You know, terrific college football player. Uh, he beat that word down so far into the earth, it might have popped down the other side to China. And we had a couple of Penn State players who were on their way to digging towards China this week using the word excited. But it's just, again, a, a word, a phrase you use this time of year. It's a season opener. Well, if you dig through straight from State College, you end up in an ocean. Uh, but uh, good, yeah. good to know. The last one this is maybe the most talented team we've had. Mm. Wait. I'm sorry, what? James Franklin said almost, well, he almost admitted that on Wednesday, which is just breaking every bit of coach speak that you could ever have. It is the most talented uh, team that James Franklin has ever had. Yes. Whether, you know, he, he mentioned Maryland. They had Sean Merriman and Vernon Davis. So they had talent and spots. Outside of the Green Bay Packers. Right, 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 right. Well, this yes. is the most talented college team he's ever right, had. Right, right. But yeah, this this was kind of surprising because <laughs> he, he doesn't like to take those leaps. And you could see himself trying to talk himself out of saying that. But at the end, he was he pretty basically admitted, yeah. yeah I mean, there's the, the scholarships here. This isn't Vanderbilt. No disrespect to Vanderbilt, but you know he's been here for almost an entire cycle, as we mentioned before. So yes, this is the most talented team he's had. This will be the most talented team. You know, he he's had an opportunity to coach with. So uh, I'm excited to see what he does with it because uh, they got some they got some talent. They got some potential. Yeah, the silent nod from Franklin came in. Quote, you know, you could I think you could make a really good argument that this is the most talented team. Aka, I I would. That's as close as he would. But I don't want to publicly. And actually, going back to the Packers team, is one season up in Green Bay. I think that was the only losing season they had during the Brett Favre era. So perhaps this Penn State team actually might come a little bit closer than we think. Could they beat? Nah, never mind. No, stop. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On to the meat of the podcast. Season preview for this defense. If you haven't listened to Monday's episode, we covered uh, the passing game, the running game, of course, headlined by Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, respectively. What does Penn State need to accomplish for each of those areas to be successful? Now, on the defensive side, uh, the passing game, you know, I'm going to go to you in a second here. The big thing for me with this pass defense is going to be third down. When you look at the four teams that made the college football playoff a year ago, each of them finished in the top 11 of third down defense. Now, this is a combination, of course, you know, uh, generating pressure, having tight coverage in the back end. Penn State checked in at number 48. Now, that's still technically above average, but again, Penn State is not seeking above average this season. They want to be elite. They want to go to the college football playoff. And you see elite teams, when push comes to sub, winning on third down, both offensively and defensively. They allowed opponents to convert about 38% of the time. If they can tick that down to about you know 30 to 33, I think they'll be in much better shape. But if teams, of course, continue to drive, not only does that lead to points, but it keeps Trace McSorley in the offense off the field. Yeah, your best defense is a good offense. They have a good offense. Uh, defensively, a little bit skewed by the USC game. Uh, actually, a lot skewed by the USC game. 453 yards, uh, five touchdowns for Sam Darnold. Um, so, so the numbers are a little bit off, but still 11th in the Big Ten in passing yards per game, uh, 44th in the country in passing efficiency last year. They're going to need to improve 
improve. I think uh, you look at the experience that they have. They're going to start four seniors back in the in the defensive backfield. But yeah, they they've got to improve and they got to get their hands on the football. I think that's my biggest thing is forcing turnovers. They bring back three defensive backs that each had one pick last year. Of course, John Reed was hurt, um, and uh, Amani uh, Oriware, Christian Campbell, and Troy Apke uh, each had an interception last year. Haley has three in his career. Campbell has two. But yeah, this is not a, a secondary that's that's forced turnovers. Um, you have an over under here of number of Penn State players with uh, three interceptions, one point five. Yeah, again, we did that last week. Over under for the passing game, running game. I have this for the passing game. Over under, you know, a player and a half that has three or more interceptions. So does Penn State have multiple players with at least three interceptions? I don't think so. It's tough. I mean, really? Penn State's uh, leader, I think, was Brandon Smith last year with two, and Brandon Bell had two as well. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, Going back to the 2014 season, Anthony Zettel had three. Adrian Amos had three. I just don't see this as a team that has a five-pick guy or anything like that, especially with Reed out of the question. Um, Lamont Wade is a guy that can make those plays. I don't know if he's there yet. Um, you'll, you'll see if Marcus Allen gets his first career pick, which I think he will. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot more question marks back there than, than many would ex- assume based on the, uh, the seniority of this group. Okay. I'm going to take the over here, and I think you're not going to see, as you mentioned, a five-interception guy, but I think you'll see at least a couple guys with three. Largely, that has to do with the fact we've heard a lot about this offseason taking more of an aggressive approach, which, of course, you know, no one's going to be passive in practice, but it's to the point where they are really risking, you know, giving up big plays for pass deflections and interceptions. And so far they've been successful. So they aim for three takeaways in practice. I think you'll see multiple defensive backs with at least three interceptions. Christian Campbell will be one. I think Wade could be in that mix. Grant Haley, of course, is going to see more snaps at that position than anybody. And then they've got some more depth behind them. Um, But, you know, when you look at the quarterbacks that they'll see, you know, veterans returning for Akron and Georgia State, nonetheless, those teams presumably will be behind early and throwing often, then Pitt, Max Brown, a transfer coming over from USC, and I will be breaking in a first-year starting quarterback too. So in that first month alone, I think it's going to be right for the picking when you're looking for uh, interceptions. Pun unintended there, worked out. Um, And I'm going to take the over. I think they'll get a couple of guys with three to four interceptions, and and it'll probably start with those corners. Of course, the one player most associated with interceptions, or lack thereof, Marcus Allen. I I think he inevitably is going to get his hand on one this year. Yeah, I think so, too. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Law of averages, right? Yeah, so I'm interested to see whether he or Apke or Scott or Monroe, whoever's back there, uh, you know, if if they can play a little bit of center field. Because you're going to see more throwing this year. I mean, it's just I think that's just the way it's going. Um, not only with the schedule, um, but also with the fact that Penn State should be up in a lot of these games. Okay. On the ground. Um, last year, Penn State improved remarkably in run defense and was one of the better teams in the country in that area. When you look at some of the more advanced metrics, again, if you're looking at total yards, I, I would just totally encourage you to let those go entirely. Um, but success, what will success mean for Penn State when it comes to defending the run this season? I don't know if you can quantify it, but you've got to have those defensive ends step up. And I think it's something we, I think we bring up probably every week or every other week is that, you know, you, you've got guys in there. Sharif Miller can rush the passer. Torrance Brown can rush the passer. Um, I, I, I'm interested to see what Ryan Buckholtz brings as a, as a run stopper. He's a big guy. I mean, he's 6'5 plus 270. Um, he's going to slide down and play the three technique on passing downs as well. So I'm interested to see if that, if that crop can can help stop the run. Uh, they got torched last year on jet sweeps and on outside runs against Pitt and Michigan earlier in the season. So um, if they can come around and, and they're going to have to mature you know, fair, decently quickly, but uh, if they're going to have to mature and, and stop the run, I think this the, the, the ceiling for this, uh, for this defense can go up. 
Okay, for me, it's it's even simpler. Just stay healthy. I mean, we saw, again, I mentioned that improvement that they made over the course of the year. Yes, it helps not playing the likes of a Pitt in Michigan, two of the better rushing offenses in the country as the season wore on. But also, they, they just got guys back. And I think this is a defense that fundamentally is very sound. They're excellent with their run fits. But when you've got players in there who either out of position or just out of their league, we look at guys like Cam Brown, who a year ago certainly should have taken a red shirt, couldn't due to the injury situation at linebacker, which was unprecedented. But then when he gets to take a seat for Brandon Bell and to come into coming back they were very good you know I don't think there'll be a dominant run defense you know there aren't too many difference makers that you see with the likes of you know teams that have made the college football playoff in past years but if they're just able to stay healthy relatively healthy I, I think they're going to do very well on the on the ground this year which of course will play into forcing teams to throw more and again that's where they want to force more interceptions yeah they talk about staying on schedule and offense so much but also on defense I mean you want to get yeah. these third and longs you saw at practice last night bringing in those situational packages where you bring in a shot a Tony or a Shane Simmons to go after the quarterback. You move Buckholtz down, and, and all of a sudden you've got Buckholtz sitting beside Kevin Givens moving around on the line. And uh, it, it, there's a lot of options there. I think they can get to the quarterback with four. Um, it, it, and if they can do that, I mean, it's, it's going to help this defense altogether. So a year ago, Penn State had five games in which it allowed a 100 yard rusher. During the Minnesota game, they had two separate gophers go for over 100. So our over under for this year is four and a half games in which Penn State allows 100-yard rushers. Uh, I'm going to say over. Uh, they're, they're facing a good stable of backs. Uh, Northwestern is obviously the one that we've looked at before. Ohio State will be there. Uh, Michigan, you know, uh, of course, always has a running back as well. And, and I look at the games that, that could split that four and a half. Uh, Nebraska, you know, uh, Maryland has a good stable of backs. I don't know how their their team talent level is, but they've got a good stable of backs. So, And Michigan State always, you know, usually runs the ball well as well. So uh, I, I think there's some swing games in there, but I'm going to go with five uh, slightly over. I like the four and a half that you set because I think it's a good one. Thanks. Um, I'm with you here. I'm going to take the over just slightly. And I think, you know, if that's going to change, it'll start with a very, very strong September. I mentioned, you know, they're not facing uh, quite potent passing attacks. I think the same goes for the running game, though those will be a little bit better. Where you get into trouble, though, as you mentioned, Justin Jackson's going to be a handful at Northwestern. Ohio State a year ago, Curtis Samuel led them with 74 rushing yards, I believe. One rush went for 71, and that was half of his total carries that entire night. Why they never gave him the ball more frequently was just bizarre. Now, they paid a lot of attention to Curtis Samuel, but still two rushes for a guy who is now playing on Sundays was just absurd. So I think Ohio State probably gets there. Uh, and Chris Evans, you mentioned Michigan always had a running back. He's outstanding. He, he's a sophomore, really ready to take the reins for the Wolverines. I think they come in here, you know, again, with a little bit more of a limited passing attack. It'll have developed at that point when they come in for the whiteout. But they'll lean on him, lean on him heavily, and I think he probably gets around there. You know, if not, that bodes obviously quite well for Penn State. But a couple more games in there, you figure, um, you know, would, would push them over. But I wouldn't be shocked if this only fell to about three or four games when this happens. And I think it goes back to what you said if they can stay healthy at linebacker they can they can bottle some of these teams yeah up. and with the depth of defensive tackle you rotate in the likes of you know Robert Windsor Tyrell Chavis you're not going to have these issues too up front when when Curtis Cothran and Parker Cothran need a breather on to the bold predictions I think you limped in last week offensively with their <laughs> you sprung it on me quick I wasn't sure what to expect yeah definitely didn't send you the rundown before we <laughs> sat down for the podcast um, but you're a little bit more prepared this time so I'll let you lead off with your bold prediction for Penn State's defense I think Brandon Smith leads the team in turnovers forced and <laughs> I, I you know we love Brandon Smith here and our he's Facebook a page loves Brandon yeah, Smith. he's a backup but the kid just has a nose for the football <laughs> and speaking of cliches 
He has a nose for the football. He gets to it. Led the team in interceptions last year. And, and grit. And I think you'll see him play some sort of role. Um, you know, I don't know that, they, you know, he's going to be a starter right away. Cabinda's been banged up uh, during his career. Uh, Bowen's, you know, had some issues as well. So, but he can play both of those spots and that they, they won't hesitate to throw him in there. I think he was their best red zone defender last year. And, uh, you yeah, know, he got his hand on the football, which is more than, you know, some of the other guys in front of him. Yeah, I think at a per-snap basis, I think he was right up there with just about anyone in terms of turnover source or just being around the football. Um, you have outbolded me this week. I am going to not limp in, but I think when you look at you know Penn State sack totals from a year ago on an individual basis, only two players had more than four and a half sacks for the season. Again, a, a year in which Penn State played 14 games. Both of those players are now gone. Garrett Sickles and Evan Schwan in the NFL what I'm going to say now, however, is that Penn State will have four, not only just defenders, but defensive linemen with at least five sacks. I'm not going to name all four, but I'll give you at least three, and I think there's going to be a wild card thrown in there. Kevin Givens is Kevin Givens, you know is coming. <laughs> because you know what? Who was just behind Sickles and Schwann with four and a half? It was Kevin Givens. It wasn't a defensive end. Uh, again, like Smith on a per-snap basis, very impactful. I think you'll see a lot more snaps there this year. Sean Spencer called him a fifth starter. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, after him, Shaka Tony. You mentioned him rotating in as a pass rush specialist. I think he gets to five this season. And Sharif Miller, you know, one of one of the top three or five guys you expect to break out season from. You know, the the easiest um, way to measure that as a defensive end, whether it's crude or not. Of course, his sack totals. I think he gets to five, and then then we have someone else show up with at least. Five quarterback takedowns. When you go in and count splash plays, explosive plays on defense uh, per snaps played, and I had somebody in the program suggest this to me, that Shaka Tony may be at the top of that list. And, you know, he's not going to be an every down guy. Uh, he's been listed, I think, anywhere from 200 to 233 pounds this you know, camp season this so, week. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he's not going to be an every down guy, but they love his explosion off the edge. You can stand him up if you need to. Um, he just uh, provides something versatile. He's one of those guys I can't wait to see play just because I, I don't know what to look for. This guy was a, a rush end in high school. They recruited him as a linebacker. They changed their mind when he wanted to play defensive, uh, end, and it seems to have worked out so far. So I'm excited to see him. I don't think he can be an every down guy just yet. And that might be another year or two away. But he's a guy that you can bring in in those third and long situations and say, hey, go get the quarterback. So um, really anxious to see what he can bring to the table. Uh, just uh, just a tremendously explosive guy off the edge. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you that he can be a guy that piles up sacks, but we, even though we may not see him a lot. Right. And again, this doesn't and totally encapsulate Penn State's uh, pass rush ability or their performance. But when you just look at statistically, I think they're going to have at least four defensive linemen get there with five-plus sacks, Tony being one of them. And again, you know, in my research for the scout team piece, I heard a very interesting note from Tommy Galt, one of their former GAs, that basically all the offensive tackles after the first couple weeks of the season, you know, Brendan Mann, when he was still healthy, was just, listen, I need Chaka and I need him now. And they're taking extra reps against him because he provided as strong a speed rush as Penn State saw on any Saturday. And that was in practice Tuesday through Thursday when he was working on scout team against Mann, against Andrew Nelson, uh, and, and Ryan Bates occasionally too. Because you remember, Penn State went into the Big Ten Championship game, and then of course the Rose Bowl, with two natural guards at tackles, and, and largely pulled it off. Um, so there well, we are. Going back to what you said about the at least five stacks, I still think Koa Farmer is going to have, you know, uh, probably ranked second in the team in getting to the quarterback. Uh, he's, he's a guy that's explosive off the edge. So when you say four down linemen with five stacks, I think that that would be a ton of production in my eyes. Yeah. 
I mean, I, as long as you said Koa Farmer's name on the podcast before I did, then I don't have to keep leading this hype train. I Mike, get a little. You're going to bring up Mike Miranda at some point. It's just going to go back and forth. But. See, I would, except for you. There you go, dropping his name first, so I don't have to do uh, anything now. What I do have to do though is offer our long-awaited season predictions, record, and then the big question: Do they make the playoff? Penn State has not been shy about its aspirations. They've not gone on in detail about them, but it's very clear they want to be there when there are only four left standing and playing for a national title. It's tough um, because I, I just look at the schedule. I can see eleven and one happening, but you know, take I'm a, I'm a safe guy. You saw my bold prediction last week. I'm going to go with ten and two. I think Northwestern on the road, extremely tricky. Um, you know, so they could get tripped up there. Uh, Michigan State, a little bit, you know, more than you would think. It's probably the the exact opposite of what we saw last year with with uh, Michigan State ex- expecting to pound Penn State at the beginning of the year. I think Michigan State's going to be improved. I don't know if they have the quarterback play to get them where they need to be, but you're going to play in East Lansing, which has been a tough place to play. So uh, I have them at ten and two, and just out of the playoff once again. Uh, if you're ten and two, that means Ohio State's probably uh, undefeated or eleven and one, and and in the playoff. Right. I'm glad you brought up Michigan State. Three nine a year ago, they pushed Ohio State to the brink in East Lansing, and people I think forget that you know Ohio State wasn't the most explosive it's ever been, of course, a year ago, but nonetheless made the playoffs. They also blew out Rutgers. So. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> Who didn't know? Um, so I think you know, as I mentioned at one point in the off season, that we just kind of get so used to this, you know, this certainty. It's almost like a seductress that we just forget about college football. And one of the, our favorite parts about it is that it's so unpredictable. And we just revel in this Penn State will do this, then they're going to do that. And eventually at the end of their season, they're going to be here. What we forget, though, is, of course, you know, Minnesota was a loss leading up to that final drive when Trace McSorley makes this huge scramble on third and long against, you know, a, a deep coverage featuring a lot of man-to-man, which set up Tyler Davis, who had a 40-yard field goal to tie the game. And then in overtime, they made, you know, the Gophers stop for a field goal, which they made, and Saquon Barkley goes in and scores a touchdown. All we see from that game is Saquon Barkley scampering into the end zone for a walk-off win. They go to 3-2, and two, and they don't lose again until the Rose Bowl. But there was so much that went into that that really could have had the season teetering either way. And I think in one or two games this year, possibly Michigan State, Northwestern, another threat, even Indiana or Michigan at home, I think the ball teeters the other way. And Penn State, like you said, ends up at 10-2. This will be a better team, but the Big Ten is better. And Lady Luck does not always swing the same way, particularly year to year. So it's, it's not a knock on them. It's just taking them within the greater context of the conference in college football. Uh, and, of course, the schedule. So I, I agree with you. 10-2. No playoff, but still, to me, again, given where this program has come from, a success if they're able to make that. Yeah, I think so. And and will they be outside the top ten? I don't think so. Um, you know, because you look at the unpredictability of the top ten. I mean, half those teams at least probably won't be there by the end of the year. So um, it should be fun to watch. The Penn State's in a good spot going into the season. If they can stay healthy, they can beat anybody on their schedule. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, you, you never know. But yeah, they're going to hate you for your prediction. But I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I don't know why they're the hate is exclusive to me. I know you've been here a lot longer than I have. And Seniority, a yes. tremendous job with recruiting because you're always bringing the good news. I might be bringing the bad after a particular loss, but you know, here, here's another part about this. We mentioned the Final Four. Should Florida State lose badly to Alabama or even just lose outright to them? This is a one versus three matchup with the Seminoles at number three. They very likely, provided Penn State beats Akron, drop to around, I would say, five or six, which would mean Penn State gets to elevate itself, perhaps crack that top five or even top four, depending on their own performance. So at that point, you don't want to say you just have to tread water because, of course, that would be just the largest understatement of playing through a college football season there could be. But Penn State would be where it wants to be in week two 
if that were to unfold, which is, I think, well within the realm of possibility. Who you got in that game, by the way? I have Alabama. I have Alabama as well. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a good game. A uh, ton of talent everywhere, but yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean, if you follow work or just have any interest in college football, I don't know how you can't wait to tune in 8 I, o'clock that night. I Hopefully we will have wrapped up a Penn State win by then, So, um, and, and we will get back to eating Chick-fil-A and then going back and watching Alabama and Florida State. But hopefully you enjoyed uh, our defensive preview as, as, as well as a little bit else, and I guess uh, we can't wait for some football tomorrow yeah we'll continue to have some fun tomorrow we'll be back with the podcast on monday recapping akron looking ahead to pit we've got a new segment i'm very excited to debut uh as well but again this has been the lines 24 7 podcast happy football i feel his face